You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Jenna Evans-Welch on the show with me today. She has a phenomenal new book. It's called Love and Olives. And I'll tell you what, um, if you live in the world that we live in right now, where things are a little chaotic, um, what better thing to take your mind off the rest of the world? And just fall into a great story. And that's what Jenna brings us today with Love and Olives. A great story uh, with great characters that uh, that this this book should have broad appeal. And uh, I'm super excited to feature it today. Welcome to the show, Jenna. Thank you so much. I have a huge smile on my face. That was a very, <laughs> a very nice intro. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome for that. Um, Jenna, we show with the same question. And that question is... What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? What a great question. Um, So when I learned how to read, I just fell so hard. So I remember being in first grade, curled up on my couch. We lived in this little tiny house in Salt Lake City. And I was reading Little House on the Prairie. I read those books probably, I don't know, I'd say 20 to 30 times each. Um, And my love of reading just immediately transformed into wanting to write. So I can remember from a very, very young age wanting to write books. Um, And I decided I wanted to write for teenagers when I became a teenager and the books I wanted just weren't there for me. So first off, that Laura Ingalls series um, is an amazing series. Um, We've talked about it lots of times on the show. Um, I remember reading those books as a youngster and and just loving them, you know, and and this kind of sense of adventure and um and the characters were just regular people like me with with you know these kind of weird experiences that that I could relate to and uh, what a great series so I'm I'm happy to know that that was kind of a gateway for you as well um but I uh, I, I read on your your website you tell the story about you know going to the library and being disappointed with the YA section. Uh, of that library and then, uh, you know, expanding out to the adult section, but never forgetting the thing that you wanted to find that you just couldn't find. Um, what, why do you, first off, why do you think there was such a lack of great YA fiction for, for so long? And that has now, thank God is being filled in, but uh, why do you think that is? I am so curious about that also, because I feel like there was really wonderful children's literature, um, which I was just devouring. Um, And thanks for bringing up that moment. I mean, I had a very pivotal moment where I remember walking over to the YA shelf in my, you know, library branch, and I was ready. It was time for me to move on from the children's books and finding this tiny shelf. And I remember thinking the only thing on there were books about cheerleaders. And I was just not terribly interested in cheerleaders. Um, I wanted that same sense of adventure and these plucky heroines. And I wanted them to go out and, you know, do incredible things. And I wanted there to maybe be some kissing because I was, you know, a teenager, I was ready. Um, 
I, and I, I was, I was so disappointed. I felt like, you know, you get to have the magic when you're little and, oh, this is what being a teenager is. You let go of all that magic, right? Now you're just going to be interested in a few things, popularity, boys, what you wear. And it was so disappointing to me. Um, I love that we've expanded this genre so much. And I'm really grateful that I am not coming of age right now because I don't think I would come out of my bedroom. I would just be in there reading and reading and reading. Um, but, you know, I think that we are diversifying our literature in all ways. So it makes sense to me that YA is growing. There are so many unbelievable new voices, um, all different types of stories. And I just am so happy to be part of this growing field. Absolutely. Um, so Jenna, uh, I know that, that reading really made you want to become a writer and that was a lofty goal for you. Uh, very few people, um, have these desires and just immediately go into that as their line of work. Um, what else was uh, along your path to becoming a writer? What did you do when you left school and kind of started your journey into life? Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's a great question. Also, I do think, you know, I did sort of the requisite floundering that we do in our early 20s. Oh, yeah. Um, I knew that I wanted to write. I knew that the only thing I'd ever truly wanted to do was write books for teenagers. And I made my first attempt at my first book, which would eventually be Love and Gelato, um, which came out a few years ago. I wrote that when I was 22. And that first draft was just awful. And I think sometimes people don't believe me when I tell them how bad it really was. It was so <laughs> bad. It was so bad. Um, and I think as a reader, you know, I knew what kind of literature I wanted to produce and I couldn't do it. And that disparity between my taste level and my skill level was just devastating. Um, so I, I put writing aside for several years and tried to tell everyone around me that I was fine without it, that I was going to just do other things. So I taught yoga. I got very into that for a while. <laughs> um, I worked for a nonprofit um, with kids who are aging out of the foster care system, which is actually something I'm writing about right now, which is exciting. Um, I also come from a family of writers. My father is, a, an, is an author as well. So I actually ended up working with him on his novels for about seven years before mine wow. came out. So I was still in the world. I always say that I had like the only novel writing apprenticeship that has ever existed. Um, so I worked with him for a long time on his novels and all along the way, he was like, all right, when are you going to do it? When are you pulling your book out? And I was like, please stop talking about it. It's too painful. Um, and then, you know, once, once I did sell that book and you know, that now that I've started down this road, I just, I can't imagine doing anything else really. I had no idea that your dad was a writer. That's um, was, was there ever any any pressure from him? Um, I, I know he kept asking you, you know, when are you going to pull that out? But did you did you feel any familial, um, you know, sort of um, requirement like, you know, I've got to follow in my dad's footsteps? Was that ever a pressure that you felt? No, definitely not. Um, I did feel a lot of positive pressure, meaning my dad, he would, he was always saying, you hear the music. That's what he calls it. I know you hear the music. You have to be writing. So I did feel him pushing me that way. And I know this is the thing that you want, and I'm not going to let you give up on this huge dream of yours. Um, I think I wanted to be a writer before he became one and I was seven years old. So I, I sometimes think of myself as actually being the first writer in our family, which is funny. <laughs> um, so I didn't feel like that was a path that I needed to go down. And I, I think that 
you know, my dad being in the industry for as long as he is, he knows it's not an easy one. Publishing right. is not easy. Um, sure. I'm sure if I would have been really happy doing something else, he would have been thrilled with that too. Um, but it was pretty clear that I was really miserable not being a writer. That's, that's so funny. Um, I, I find it, um, I, I find it really intriguing that you, you set your mind to, you know, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to come back and I'm going to write the things that I always wanted to, to find when I was, you know, a teenager or, or whatever did, was that path always clear to you that, you know, I'm going to write for a, a younger audience, um, uh, not children's literature by any means, but did, did that, that kind of YA framework, did that always kind of sit with you that this is what you're going to do? Yes. Isn't that strange? I mean, it's from 11 strange on, fascinating. I know yeah. from 11 on, I was like, it is missing what I want. Those books I want are not there and they need to be there. Um, so everything I've written, I have thought about 12 year old me. What, what did I wish was there? That's... And even before I knew how my books would be received, um, I remember just the night before Love and Gelato was published, before it went out into the world, um, staying up all night reading it and just feeling this incredible joy and satisfaction that 12 year old me would have been thrilled over this book. And I think if, you know, if it hadn't led to more books, if I hadn't hit the New York Times bestseller list, if, you know, if none of these things had happened, a piece of me would have been really satisfied all the same. It was something that I just felt called to do. It, is there a key to writing YA? And, and by that, I mean, uh, are, are there certain rules um, that that you have to abide by to be in that space? Or is it just like you kind of alluded to what what would 12 year old me want um, to read and, and getting in that mindset? Like what what is the what's the framework that makes a book YA as opposed to, uh, you know, any other age group? Well, I mean, there's obviously the constraints of age, how old the character is and who sure. it's directed towards. Um, but I think that the most important things for YA are voice. Um, I think having a character that readers get pulled into is essential in YA. Um, I also think that you need a story that is going to pull people along. Um, kids love stories. They love stories that they just want to turn the pages as fast as possible. Um, I also, I mean, I know that there are a lot of really heavy stories, but I also really believe that YA should be fun. Um, I think that teenagers are dealing with a lot of heavy things, but they also just love to laugh and enjoy themselves. And so that's something that I feel really strongly about incorporating into my books. Your first book, Love and Gelato, um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the beginnings of things. And I love to ask people um, about how a story begins for them. Um, your, you, the new book, um, love and olives is the third book in this love and series. And, um, it, is it a series in, in the conventional way where there's a character that we follow from book one to three or what, uh, what kind of binds the series together? So it's not a conventional series. Um, anyone could pick up any of the books and, and understand what was going on, right? You don't need to read them in order. I think it'd be fun to read them in order. Um, but the thing that connects them are common characters. So my character in Love and Olives is a very, very small character in the second book in the series, Love and Luck. Um, I'm waiting for people to figure out who it is. It's a little bit tricky. And she was such a small character. I think that a lot of people missed her. 
Um, so it's kind of a, my husband calls it like you're writing in the same universe, <laughs> right? <laughs> like they're just all a little bit interconnected and then have a yeah. lot of very similar themes. The Novel Factory Online is software for the serious writer. With features like notes that are automatically organized, that means no more drowning in piles of paper, notes, or spending hours organizing digital folder structures. The Novel Factory offers clear, obvious structures for noting down information about plot, characters, locations, and everything else relating to your novel. Innovative features like the roadmap take you from concept to finished novel. The Roadmap is an optional step-by-step -step guide to writing a novel that takes you from the premise to final manuscript and beyond. It draws on tried-and-true, tested theory that lies behind the majority of best-selling novels and blockbuster movies. Access your writing anywhere. The web version of the Novel Factory can be accessed anywhere you have internet. So you can write your novel on the train to work, while walking the dog, or climbing a mountain. Just log in and all your drafts and notes will be at your fingertips. Go to novel-writer.com to see how this powerful software can unleash your creative side. Use code HANK2020 for 20% off. That's the Novel Factory. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Gotcha. Um, so what I uh, alluded to a minute ago, that the beginnings of things, when, when you start envisioning a new book, um, what comes to you first? Are, are you thinking of you know the Mediterranean, uh, like with with love and olives and and an adventure kind of based around that? Are you thinking of a character and how this character's arc is is going to go? Or does a character just walk on the stage of your mind and and you say, oh well, well she's interesting. I wonder what she's up to. Like like what is that first kernel of an idea that comes to you that then begins to grow into the story? For me, it has been place, the location. 
which I haven't ever heard another writer say that, that place is the, the thing that starts the story. I, um, I, I've heard very few people say that. Yeah, I actually feel like I have to fight pretty hard for my characters, particularly my main characters. It usually takes me a very long time to find them. I think it kind of panics my editor because she's <laughs> like, are they going to show up here? We've got a story, but where's your character? Um, so, you know, with Love and Olives. So by this point, I, you know, this is my third novel. I knew that I would mentally be spending about a year in whatever setting I chose. So I decided to have some fun. Google and just Google, you know, where do I want to go in the world? What would be interesting to me? And within like a half hour, I found this little bookstore um, on a small Greek island called Santorini. And it just captured me. I didn't really have an idea of the story yet. Um, but I went there and spent a week looking for a story. Basically, I did everything that I thought a teenager would do. While in Greece, I was cliff diving and, you know, eating everything, uh, going to all the beaches. It was really wonderful. And it actually took me quite a while to find the story after that. Um, but setting is definitely the thing that brings a story to me. Well, one of the, um, the aspects of this book, or one of the, the plot points, if you will, um, is the idea of Atlantis. And that's, it kind of becomes a catalyst to, to get the story up and going. Um, what was it? When did you kind of discover this angle? And what was it about the legend of Atlantis that uh, that intrigued you so much? So this is interesting. So I actually wrote an entire first attempt at Love and Olives that I completely threw out before writing the book that is available now. Um, and that first attempt had nothing to do with the lost city of Atlantis. Um, Atlantis came to me much, much later in the game. Um, so when I was in Santorini, I hadn't researched this beforehand, but I started to notice that all everywhere was named Atlantis. Um, and I started, as I started to dig a little bit, I realized that um, the lost city of Atlantis, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, it's, you know, all over in pop culture. Um, but basically this very advanced civilization that the people got too proud and the, the gods ordered it to be sunk into the ocean, basically. And people have been looking for this lost city since Plato's time. Plato was the first one to talk about it. Um, and most people think it's just, you know, Plato was telling an allegory. Um, but there are many, many people who I have spent a lot of time reading about who believe that it is real and they've been looking. Um, and one of the main theories is that Santorini, um, the island where Love and Olives is set, is um, the actual bud of the story, right? This is the island that this whole myth was based on. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, it's shaped similarly to Atlantis. Um, in the drawings that, you know, have been passed down. Um, there was a, there was a very advanced civilization that lived there. They had a toilet before anyone, like thousands of years before anyone. Um, and there was a giant volcano that wiped out like a massive volcano um, that wiped out this whole civilization. So there's a lot of things that add up in this story. And there are a lot of people who really believe that Santorini is, is down. We someone who's ever been very interested in fantasy or legends or myths or anything like that. I, I'm kind of the ultimate contemporary reader. I'm so interested by just regular life. Um, but as I started to research a bit, I just fell so hard. And kind of predictably, the thing that interested me most in Atlantis were the people who have just dedicated their lives to looking for it. Um, 
And I, I mean, I watched all the documentaries. I listened to all the podcasts. I read just books and weird little online web discussions. And I just felt so hard for it. I got in this weird space where I was like, I think I know where Atlantis is. Like I was telling my husband things like this. And he was like, <laughs> don't say that to anybody else. This is getting weird. But yes, I fell so hard for Atlantis. It was so fascinating to me. So speaking of place, and um, I, I know that uh, that place uh, has a very important role to play in in storytelling, and especially for you, where um, you say that stories begin with place and then the characters come later. But um, another thing I'm fascinated with is the how place um, affects a writer. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're from you're from Utah around the Salt Lake City region. Yes, um, I'm from Salt Lake City. How do you feel like being from there and uh, if you still live there, um, how do you feel like being from that place and and being, uh, you know, a, a, a Utah uh, is it a Utahite? And I'm not sure what you what, what citizens. Call I don't even know. Utah. I, I don't know. A Utah. <laughs> just add an end to the end. How do you feel like that affects you as a writer? Um, because, you know, the little things that that we grow up with or that kind of infused in us from the culture tend to kind of seep out through the storytelling, sometimes in, in very weird ways and, and things that, that people may not be aware of. But but how do you feel like that the, the place that you're from affects you as a writer? Oh, that is a really interesting question. Um, you know, Utah and Salt Lake City especially are an interesting place. There's a really strong um, religious tradition here, which I grew up in. Sure. Um, a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people grow up here and stay here. There's a lot of families that, you know, their family lives just down the street. Um, a lot of generational connection. Uh-huh. Yep. A lot of generational connection. Um, it's, it's fairly homogenous. Um, so I actually moved to Florence, Italy when I was a sophomore in high school and I, I, I went to high school there. Um, and the shift from, which is where I got my inspiration for my first novel, but my shift from moving to this honestly, very sheltered place to moving to Europe was, I mean, it just expanded my world so much. Um, I, I just feel like being from a place that has, where I feel like people have been okay with staying here for a long sure. time. I've wanted so much to help stretch people's minds to other places and other areas. I love it. Um, you said that when you wrote your first book, Love and Gelato, that you finished that first draft and you knew that it was awful and uh, that you kind of put that draft away for several years while you, while you worked with your dad and, and, you know, with his gentle prodding to, to get back to it, you, you came back to it and finished it. But did you know that that uh, book was awful? Uh, at the time, your words, not mine, because I haven't read your first draft. But did oh, well, did you, you know that it was was yeah. was something that that wasn't clicking or or like how did you how did you know that you know it this was not ready for prime time? Um. Well, it didn't have a plot, <laughs> which which is an <laughs> That's issue. That's important. <laughs> That's important. Um. You know, I was proud of it because I was proud of the fact that I produced something, but I. I knew something was wrong. I mean, it just, it didn't, it wasn't something that I felt like grabbed anybody. Um, but I also just felt completely at a loss about how to fix that. Um, understanding that a story is good and then translating that into your own work is, 
very, very difficult, at least to me, like it just uses completely different parts of your brain. Um, so I knew it had a lot of problems, but it was almost like I couldn't even see what they were or how to fix them. I just knew it was not what I wanted to write. Gotcha. Um, the, the new book love and olives is, uh, it's a fairly hefty book. Uh, the The book itself is uh, right at five hundred pages. The um, at least the paperback edition that I have, um, and and then there's an acknowledgement section after that. But five hundred pages of of novel um, in in a world today where typical novels are generally about three hundred to three hundred fifty pages for uh, uh, this, you know, weighs in at as at a um, a, a little hefty, which is, which is wonderful for me for, for book lovers. We're like, Oh, this is, this is going to be great. I can spend some time with this. Um, as a writer, um, do you have a daily writing habit or, you know, as someone who produces such hefty books, uh, do you ever feel the pressure of, you know, writing deadlines and, and how do you manage to stay, uh, get on task and on target as you move through the book? Um, thanks for noticing that it's gigantic. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm still kind of <laughs> shocked by it. So my first two books were, I think, 75,000 words and 80,000 words. Okay. And then this one is 115. So I kept thinking that I'd accidentally like copied and pasted 30,000 words somewhere or something <laughs> as I was working on it because it's, I've never been like a very prolific writer. It's not like I'm constantly editing myself back. It feels like I'm always trying to push towards enough words, but this story there just was so much I wanted to tell that there just was a lot. Um, although I do think it reads very quickly. Um, so I do usually try to set like right now I'm, I'm working on a first draft and I'm working on it in the NaNoWriMo world, right? Which is, are you familiar with NaNoWriMo? Oh yes. Oh yes. yes. And we're, so we're, we're recording this the fourth day of Nano, which yes. is uh, yes, exactly. I know a lot of people are, are are knee deep in it at this point. Exactly, I love the energy of NaNoWriMo because I feel like it's so easy to get stuck in your inner critic, um, and also it's really easy for me to like, okay, I've written this page and I'm going to spend an hour kind of rearranging it because that's a lot easier and more fun than writing more. Um, <laughs> right. First drafts, first drafts are not fun for me. Um, I very much prefer to have something to work with than the blank page. And some, sure. some writers are completely opposite of that. Um, so I do set word goals for myself. And that very much depends on, you know, what my life is like, what my childcare is like, um, what my due dates are. Um, so right now I'm, I just picked the NaNoWriMo goal. I'm probably writing about 2000 words a day. Um, and I don't, at this point, I'm still just writing anything that comes to mind that I'm enjoying, meaning I'm not writing chronologically. I'm still just trying to produce a lot that I can fit into a book. Um, but yes, I do think that word counts can be very, very helpful if you're the type of writer like me who would much rather sort of edit a word here and there for an hour versus <laughs> do the hard work of producing new words. So as someone who who loves the editing process, um, in your first draft, do you consider yourself more of a uh, a plotter or a pantser? Do you, do you have a plan when you begin or are you discovering the story as you go? Well, I am a pantser who wishes with her entire heart that I were a plotter. <laughs> <laughs> I have read so many books on plot. I actually, so I'm in my workspace right now and I have this big piece of butcher paper 
and I have a whole plot with, you know, post-it notes and it, it kind of just looks crazy. Um, every time my husband walks in, he's like, what is going on in here? It looks like you're plotting to take over the world. Um, I now have enough of a basic sense of plot that I do try to get at least the very main events um, down. And I try to have a really basic sense of where they should fall. Um, but anytime I've tried to plot very specifically, it has not worked for me and it's ended up being a waste of time. Um, a story makes perfect sense to me when I've written up a 12 page synopsis and, you know, this is what the character wants and this is what they're going to go through. And then as soon as I turn to the page, I'm like, oh no, no, they wouldn't do that. They would, you know, that, or that's not fun or that doesn't make sense. Um, it feels like completely different processes for me. So I'm definitely a writer who has to discover most of it, but I'm glad to have some tools to at least keep me from feeling like I'm just stumbling in the dark. <laughs> um, so, so tell us the, um, when, when a reader picks up Love and Olives, what can they expect when they open the book up and uh, who are the characters that we're going to meet and what's this grand adventure? Um, so my character is named Liv Veronakis and she's 17 years old. Her life is perfect. She's got it all under control. She has the perfect look, perfect boyfriend. She's doing well in school. Um, she lives with her mom and stepdad and little brother and things are just perfect. Um, except she has the secret and that is that her Greek father is an Atlantis hunter. He's been looking for the lost city since she was a little girl and he left to look for that lost city when she was eight years old and she hasn't seen him since then. So this is kind of her shadow, deep, dark secret that she would do anything to keep her friends and boyfriend from finding out about. Um, and then she receives a postcard from her father inviting her to come help him out with a project. And it has to do with Atlantis and it's in his hometown of Santorini. Um, and she very reluctantly goes and it's about Atlantis and they are working on a documentary about looking for the lost city of Atlantis. And as they're looking together, she a lot more about her own family's history. So the book is available in Kindle edition, um, paper edition, uh, if, if you, you know, prefer traditional printing and audio book. Um, have, were you, did you get to be a part of the audiobook production at all? Yes, I actually just um, recorded just a quick Instagram live about that because people ask me about audio all the time. Um, so I, I don't know how it works for all authors, but I am lucky enough to be able to choose the person who narrates my audiobooks for this series. Um, and so I list, I, I was very, very careful about who I selected for this character in particular. I wanted her to be just right. So I was sent five just incredible voice actors and I was able to listen to previous work. Um, and then, you know, they put it together. I have a really hard time listening to my own audiobooks. I get like really embarrassed. It's kind of like when you hear, well, you hear your own voice all the time, I'm sure, listening to your podcast. But when you hear your own voice and you're like, oh, no, is that what I I'm like, that's what I feel like when I <laughs> listen to my books on on audio. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't go back and listen to myself uh, very often at all. Um, but Love and Olives is out available everywhere today. Today is release day for the book. Uh, like I said, you can get it in Kindle edition or in paper edition or in audio book. Um, we're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of it, Jenna. And uh, if, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? 
Instagram is my place. <laughs> so you'll find me That's on Instagram. That's where all the good vibes are, That's where it? it all is. Yes, I love Instagram. So just find me under my name, Jenna Evans Welch. Excellent. We'll put links in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for people to find you and to find the book. Jenna, this has been so much fun talking. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you so much. This is great. Do you want to get paid to write stories? Do you enjoy collaborating with other talented storytellers? Do you want to work completely remotely and set your own hours? Relay Publishing is looking for writers and editors to work on fiction projects across a range of genres, from thrillers to sci-fi, fantasy, and romance. The Relay process is extremely collaborative, in the same vein as a TV show's writer's room. If you're a story geek, then you'll be on a great team. There are seven ghostwriting positions and ten editing positions currently available. Please go to www.recruitment.relaypub.com. That's www.recruitment.relaypub.com for more information on how to apply. Join a great storytelling team today. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden. Life is a journey. So is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find What Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found the story immediately immersive and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden on sale now. Invasion Day, the first book in the They Came for Blood series by Scott Moon. David Osage is a dangerous man with a complicated past. But these days, he's just trying to keep his head down, driving big rigs. One night, he saddles himself with a hitchhiker, a nuisance who's more than she's seen. And that's when everything changes. No one was ready for an alien invasion. Death is raining from the sky, and the only questions left is, do you run, fight, or submit? For David Osage and his family, answering is as easy as giving the alien invaders the finger. Grab book one, Invasion Day, in the They Came for Blood series, and then follow it up with book two, Resistance Day, and book three, Victory Day. Available at Amazon.com.